Hi, John. How are you? Hi. How are you doing? Hi, Serena. I'm good. I'm good. I want to ask you people something. Uh, that uh, I am uh, I am from India and I am going to pursue my masters in renewable energy. Oh, so, great! So, so I have got an offer from Columbia University uh, in mechanical engineering uh, with the con concentration in energy systems. Uh, wow! So, Congratulations! Yeah, that's great. That's amazing. So, uh, I need. Thank you. So I need some advice uh, from you guys about like I have got other other offers also from UK and uh, one offer from uh, Sweden as well. So first first of all I was a bit confused uh, about the uh, courses because in Colombia they are offering mechanical engineering uh, course uh, with energy system concentration and in Sweden and UK they are offering renewable energy engineering. So and in later part of my life I want to work in offshore wind energy. So I want to ask these questions about well, the courses. I not just consider just a pure subject because I think you're for sure very smart and you can learn anything at any time. I think you should also consider who will be teaching you and what is the network you would gain from the university. Um, I would look into what the department consists of, what they are working on and uh, what social network you basically gain also from that institution because that will bring you further along in your future way more um, if you get references from people that work in something you want to work in the future that are really great teachers and are nice and will support you in the future to getting grants and getting jobs so I would also look into that more social component I think so if uh, any one of you can help me so I can back channel them about the courses and uh, they can uh, advise me regarding this if anybody yeah. want to. Yeah, I th you can back channel me. I don't know if anyone else here offers, but yeah, I it's not my field of research, but um, you can just ask question and then I can maybe ask someone or answer the ones I can answer myself. But yeah, I'm happy to help. Okay, I will. I will back to you about the courses and uh, links regarding that. And if you know somebody from UK, uh, then you can also uh, refer me to them. Sure. Okay. Thank you. Of course. Um, yeah. So, uh, welcome everyone to the Science Society, and that's also part of the network I want to build here. Is that we built a network of people, not just science uh, topics, but of people in science that we can reach out to, ask questions, because they know us, and um, and maybe collaboration. So it's supposed to be like more kind of a science network, science tech network, not just pure knowledge processing, but also I think the social component is also very important, very helpful. So 
Uh, welcome everyone. We had, I think, a really cool week of uh, guest speaker topics and guest speakers, like amazing guest speakers um, this week. And uh, if you missed them, this is like a short recap to basically guide you towards what we talked about and then you can uh, have a deep dive and uh, <clears throat> about it if you thought those topics were interesting. So uh, ask questions um, and so on. So I'll just give a short summary or Serena or Dennis or anyone here uh, who was also there if you want to add comments about you know that guest speaker room uh, please add um, you know it's supposed to be more like an interactive thing so so yeah on um, Tuesday we had um, <coughs> our guest speaker <coughs> sorry I'm still sick uh, Pedro Roshan uh, the <coughs> He is, uh, he was a really great guest speaker, not just because he's at Google and he's uh, interesting, his research is interesting, but also because of his personal path uh, to science and uh, to uh, work in that area, I think is really uh, interesting. If you want to read about him, uh, Pedro Roshan, he was at the Baha'i Institute for Higher Education, and it was founded um, in, in the 80s in response to the Iranian government uh, continuing uh, to deny Iranian Baha'is access to higher education. So it was kind of a very informal way of getting educa education back then, and people were actually... Um, sometimes risking their lives to uh, to give people education uh, to those to the students so um, I think that's uh, an amazing resilience st uh, story of uh, Pedram and um, yeah and then he shared of course his research with us about uh, the time crystals he created with his team at Google uh, so um, he they used quantum computing to generate <clears throat> this time crystals and the cool thing about them is that they basically oscillate between uh, states and uh, really don't um, well if they would be completely isolated which in our world <laughs> they never are completely, but completely isolated. They could continue um, oscillating um, without um, any adding to any entropy. So you wouldn't need to feed any energy into it. Um, of course, the <laughs> this was not completely a perfect situation. So they once in a while had to... Um, feed some energy in but in principle with those time crystals you don't have to <laughs> add any energy that they continuously keep oscillating and why this doesn't really um, go against um, the current physics laws uh, we we have is um, 
they don't produce any work, so they don't keep adding information. So that's why uh, this doesn't go against the dynamic loss. So uh, yeah, if Serena or anyone wants to add uh, something to this short summary of that room, please go ahead. Yeah, I, I was able to make that room. I was on business travel a lot of the week, so I'm, I'm going to be interested in catching up. But that room uh, was interesting in that, um, you know, the fig, one of the figures toward the end of the paper, it shows the, the um, you know, the damped oscillations. And, and it was interesting that, I mean, I asked if that was energy bleed off or if that was some other type of systematic errors in, in, in noise within the quantum uh, computing system and uh, was interesting that it's not completely understood exactly what goes into that decay, but through normalization, they were able to um, re, you know, keep continue to get the signal out to ten, I believe, ten milliseconds, um, if that, if my memory serves me. But but uh, anyway, it was quite quite a fascinating talk. I was interested in the fact that the experiment duration was less than a minute. I think it was less than a second also. Yeah, so uh, I, I posted the link to the paper. It's also publicly available. Um, so if you want to read through it, um, I, I should also have the PowerPoint presentation. So if you want to read through it and maybe also um, access the PowerPoint presentation, please DM me. I can send you both links. Um, and uh, yeah, I think it was a great discussion. We were very good at answering all of our questions, you know, as far as our knowledge or their knowledge goes. And as, as much as they can disclose because it's still a company. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think that was a great room. Okay, let me go and uh, check and share the next one. And that was Dr. McKenzie, Lewis McKenzie. He was there during the day at 2 p.m. EST. And he talked about um, the chiral molecular interactions. I just need to get the link up. One second. Um, there it is. So um, he's at the department of Durham University in the UK, and he was also really great. And he loved our club. Um, he will be back. So everyone that missed him will have him back at some point. He just switched fields, kind of. So um, he. Um, he is not at the university anymore, um, but um, his work was really interesting. This was the latest paper, but um, maybe I should actually share the PowerPoint. Do you guys prefer the PowerPoint or the, um, or the paper? I'm not sure what everyone prefers. Anyways, I'll just share. Um, so um, 
circularly polarized um, uh, luminescence, like light, um, has like um, is is adding in a lot of layers into our knowledge and uh, can also actually uh, they made advancements for security. Um, I think they created inks. Um, that um, you can visualize, but um, in this paper that that is pinned, what they used this uh, principle for, and um, to come up with this technology, they had to combine like different fields of physics, engineering, and then also in this paper biology, which I really like, and um, so with using this chirality, um, they could basically visualize proteins um, in which direction if they are left or right and uh, could visualize that in cells which is really cool and you can basically also monitor um, the transition phases of those proteins because during biological processes um, if you can monitor doing biological processes, these proteins and visualize them with fluorescence, you can monitor what happens when they decay, where they go, um, and so on. So on this platform he created, they could monitor two at the same time, but he said he could upscale it to four or more in the future. So what they did was they localized um, different proteins, for example, in the lysosome and then the mitochondria here in this paper. Um, and um, he basically asked if people have, in the end, he asked if people have ideas um, in which kind of disease model or in which kind of biological model they could um, use this or um, this, this technology that they developed. They are open to suggestions and collaboration and I think it's really cool. Um, so yeah, I think this CPL spectroscopy and this chiral luminescence imaging will be a really cool tool. On one hand, um, just for security to um, validate if some sort of product or print is real like layers of security you can add so you can have a, a ink that uses um, this platform and you can print money or save from money or any type of product that needs to be um, validated you can use this technology and then you can also use this technology to monitor proteins on the skin and then also for basic science um, to see what's going on in the cells. I think it's really cool and um, apparently also pretty scalable. So I don't know if anyone wants to add something to this. Uh, please go ahead. I missed that room. So thank you for, for highlighting the the big points. Do you, do you know what they found in the mitochondria or the lysosome? But I mean, what's um, 
it was more like <clears throat> they didn't look into any like um they just showed basically how you can utilize that in a living cell um since um you can basically monitor rapid rapidly um this um organic fluorophores that you add so they basically showed like in what detail you can uh, you can visualize this in cells and they used skin cells um <clears throat> so um but it's not like they got a, a new biological um insight here but they basically asked for if you have an idea of how to use it for your biological question please go ahead and, and, and suggest something but this paper is more like a technology announcement type of paper you know where you show what you can do and um, and you replicate something that was already known and if you get the same similar results just cooler and in a better way then then you can go ahead and do something new that's how usually these papers work Cool. Yeah, yeah, I really liked it. Uh, since, you know, monitoring live cells in a way that doesn't damage the cells um, is always good. And then if you then on top, like, you know, for example, I'm just an example I said that I told him was ALS research. So how people, <clears throat> colleague of mine at the Marine Biological Laboratory in the summer should come and do this was uh, to uh, put the mutated proteins and put them on a giant axon, a squeeze out giant axon and look at how transportation of these mutated proteins that are known, like that come from mutated genes in, um, or proteins that are not how usually in a healthy neuron, modern neuron uh, would be, uh, how, um, for example, transportation um, is is not working anymore and other different things in the neuron. So, and it's um, to do that live, it's, it's really hard. And so uh, what people used to use the giant axons, but if you can do that now, um, live, in a cheaper way, an easier way, um, in the actual modern neurons uh, where this actually happens, this would at least would for sure be, you know, a lot better and give us more insight what's going on in the onset of Alzheimer's and monitor maybe the modern neurons that are close enough to the skin where it usually starts like on the hand. So he even talked about that um, they could develop a glove basically uh, for that purpose maybe um, so I think that would be really cool if you have inherent and like if you know what's in your family and around the the onset time you could start wearing those gloves and see what's going on I think for example that would be one example I think that would be great be interesting to see if it's applicable to um some of the protein transport in neurons, um, you know, in the, in the dendrites and arbors as well.
Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, the transporting of different proteins is, is, you know, that's what most people think what's um, not working accurately anymore. The production of specific proteins is not working accurately anymore and then the cells start dying off. Um, yeah. So um, next one was Dr. Angus Fletcher. Let me just get the link. Um, he talked about um, training creativity in an alternative way. And that was also really interesting. It was a little bit different, but really interesting. So he actually works with the um, Department of Defense to basically um, enhance creativity in a systematic way in um, the military, but also for schools and so on, because it's a really important skill set to basically uh, form new ways of um, solving problems um, that come up, because you constantly have to keep up with advancements from the opponent and of the current situation and you constantly should be coming up with new ideas so training creativity i think for everyone uh, it would be very helpful so i just added the the link to his paper he also has a book on amazon i think the department of defense actually published it for him uh, it's really cheap. That's why it's really cheap. It's like three dollars or something, and it has very practical steps that they that he developed um, to train uh, creativity. And uh, this paper is more like theoretical, and it has some like the model. It describes the model and why and how he came up with it. And the book is more like really actual practical steps um i think 16 steps or so uh, how to train it and what he says is that um it's so it's very interesting how um we humans still outperform in those situations to come up with a new solution of something that's not very usual or um, we are still better at it and this is because the um, creativity doesn't use pure computational data-based um, approach. Uh, he um, labels it um, more a narrative-based approach. So we, um, in order to be able to do that, you have to be able to see it as a story that has some emotion in, the, in it, but um, so narrative cognition. He says it's very important for um, for being creative and seeing like the bigger picture and being creative. And um, he says that you can train that, everyone can train that. And um, there are three steps and I have to find them that I don't say them wrong. But basically the first step is to have the ability to create your own world, basically to to create a story like to enhance that and then uh, to build that story out and to create like actions out of it so um, 
yeah, it's really interesting work, and I think it's very important. And it's known that people that are creative, that they are more resilient in adverse situation and like difficult situation. People with higher creativity abilities are way more resilient uh, and more positive also uh, in those situations and come up with actually then solution. So, uh, and resilience means that something terrible happened and you have the capability to bounce back and, and, and lead a meaningful or a life, basically. That's like in general the, the resilience definition, but also in small situations, right? That you don't get stuck so easily that you come out of situation. So, and this very practical book is also, so if you just um, Google Angus Fletcher, creativity book you will you you will find uh, his amazon book and it's like three or four dollars i think it's 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 really great i curious whether he relates it to underlying neural mechanisms or plasticity or um is it more of a phenomenological approach or uh, basis or it's curious yeah i i asked him a little bit in that direction he didn't do any studies although he's also involved in mental health i asked if people with mental health if they in the beginning issues if they in these steps that he trains if there are differences like how they how they approach things and after training if it improves the mental health but instead they didn't he didn't go there yet to look into specific mental health disorders and see how that is in the beginning influence and and then how it goes over time. But it's 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 an interesting question. I would say that people that have an more intrinsic, not trained uh, way of being creative, I would assume that they have a higher capability of plasticity. Uh, because you need to adapt basically your thinking constantly to new versions of stories. So I would assume, but I don't think anyone did the study. We didn't, we didn't take the discussion in the biomarker direction. Um, I don't know if he would have had anything to add on that, but what was interesting to me was this distinction between possibility thinking versus logic and memory and how um, the younger you are, the more likely you are to be engaged in possibility thinking. So he was, he cited an example, uh, you know, what if rain went up? And I was like, yeah, that's a really interesting thought. Like children do have thoughts like this. Um, and then the other part of the discussion that was really interesting to me was he was mentioning how there was a correlation between um, creation and art and optimism. So if you create some sort of art, then you tend to be more optimistic. And I had asked him if the inverse was true. So if, if there's no optimism, is that because you're not creating art? And there was no answer for that. And 
but it's an interesting question because, for example, from a biology standpoint, if you are a musician, um, that can, depending on the instrument, pretty much any instrument though, like if you are a singer, when you sing, it generates vibrations in your body and those vibrations can increase your vagus tone, uh, your vagus nerve tone. And to the point there's internal and external vagus nerve uh, tone generators, they're medical devices. Some of them are under different sorts of provisional um, approval levels from the FDA. And I don't know if anyone else is a musician here, but if you've ever been to a jam session, you can come out feeling pretty energized. Um, and if you have, if you're not a singer, you could just beat on a drum. If you are on a sitting drum, even better, because just the vibrations are flowing through you. And there's the vagus nerve, uh, vagus nerve tone changes. And then there's also, I hadn't even thought about this until I just started talking about it, but in terms of just <clears throat> molecular level, like you could literally just sort of maybe shake some, some toxins out. Maybe it has an impact on your lymphatic system. Those are interesting considerations. Oh yeah, and the vag Vegas. Yeah, I agree. That could definitely be true. Um, yeah, we started talking about music also. I think we had a few musicians also here, like Eric, started also talking about music. So um, yeah, it's. I think it's again. Um, I really like when people put the systematic approach into things like creativity or taking hallucinogenic stuff, you know, because uh, when it's more um, presented in a more systematic way with really practical points, it's more approachable for everyone, I think, um, and more approachable to teach this also um, or to do something uh, with with that data. and. Um, to look into it and um, so it's not like this mystical thing that um, seems to be unapproachable for the regular person and only a few have the privilege of being that way you know what I mean so I really I really like this study so but in what do you mean by Vegas tone in this in this context I'm kind of curious about that sure so um... For the basics of vagus um, nerve are that it's a nerve, it runs from your brain all the way down to, I wanna say, um, your abdominal cavity. It connects to several of the major organs. It's an independent system. It runs parallel to the central nervous system. And there have been studies done, I don't recall all the details of them right now, but basically you can improve the tone of that. And by the tone of that, it means basically the um, rigidity, or maybe that's not the right word. It's a, if, if you were to train exercise uh, for your biceps or something, and the more you do it, the more um, muscle tone you get. So that's not, does that make sense? 
I'm still reaching, but but I mean, we can move on if it's if it's just unclear. But I mean, it's, it seemed to have a few different possible meanings the way you were using it. So I was just wondering if you know if anyone could shed light on that. I, I'm interested in the vagus nerve because I hear so much about the microbiome in connection with it. Um, and how that yeah, yeah, there are so interactions hard. between that nerve system. Uh, it does run to your gut. Um, it does have a hard line running right to your gut. And then I haven't looked at this question, but I can't imagine that there isn't, in addition to electrical signals, conductivity, um, I can't imagine that other substances such as pathogens could not also use that pathway to potentially infiltrate other organ systems and move around your body the way that certain other pathogens can use your central nervous system to do these same sorts of transports. But in terms of, to make it a little bit more concrete, um, you can, there was a paper I was reviewing recently where they looked at um, the mouth cavity of a person and they were able to determine that the left part versus the right part of the vagus nerve, because I, I guess that means it's it's split or there's some sort of distinction between them. Um, they were able to see that the tone on one side was less than the other side. And I'm not sure how they corrected that per se, but that was interesting if that answers the question a little more. So I think like the background is for everyone that if you stimulate the vagus nerve, like there are different ways of doing that you can, um, there are different things that are being treated with that, um, including the immune system, heart arrhythmias, um, abnormal functioning of the nervous system, the autonomic nervous system, especially lung disease, ulcers, um, like constantly fainting and other conditions. So I just wanted to add that as a background. So vibrations, they are not different um, studies going into what sound uh, frequencies and um, other uh, sources that create basically vibrations at the specific frequencies can do for you. And there are studies that have been shown that it can help um, clean up um, proteins that are faulty, like that are just hanging around as waste in your cells, uh, that it can help with that and uh, can help maybe the performance of glia cells and so on. So um, yeah, there are different studies that came out recently showing this type of approach. And I guess um, here the idea is to, you can, you can just use an out a source from outside to create those frequency vibration patterns or maybe by using different types of singing or the meditation sounds you can make and so on you can create those frequencies yourself that would be interesting to look into more systematically i agree We were also discussing this in the space medicine room um, a couple of weeks ago, and I had proposed that uh, you know for the International Space Station residents that perhaps doctors' orders in, of the future would include one hours of mandatory um, 
jam session. So <laughs> I don't know how many musicians are also astronauts, <laughs> but, but like imagine it, right? Like they have prescribed, you must do X amount of exercise per week in order to maintain uh, muscle and, and bone density, which degrades in orbit. And so I was like, well, just from a mental health perspective, because you're, you're literally, you're, you're trapped in a steel tube that orbits the earth every 90 minutes and your, your um, all sorts of functions are become dysregulated. So for example, um, melatonin um, becomes dysregulated because you're not completing one rotation in 24 hours. You're completing one rotation every 90 minutes. That's about 16 rotations in a 24 hour period. And your, your biology developed on the planet. It's supposed to uh, it's regulated with the sunrise and sunset, and this can be seen on Earth. There's, um, you know, people who live in places where there's a lot less light. They have lower vitamin D levels. There's so many implications of this. So I was like, well, you know, this is a very easy prescription, doctor's orders, space jam session. Uh, if I may lead the racket, I just cannot hold myself back. And thank you for inviting me. Uh, in responding to Dennis, if I pronounce correctly, you are so right on. And uh, being action-driven person, here is what I, how I can support the purpose of this room and your initiative. Uh, my company, Copernic Space, that I founded is actually working as we speak on sending to the International Space Station uh, a new, new attitude, new things in the spirit that you just shared, including also not only physical delivery of, for example, something like Oscars, which needs to get away from planet Earth for a moment, but NFT in order to introduce music and and uh, value of music in space uh, in a way that would also unleash ability to finance relevant projects because the nfts that we launched uh, ultimately are designated not only for the speculation and collection all this stuff but its ultimate destination is to finance new normally not fundable projects in space uh, International Space Station is our second project. The first one is our To the Moon, where we are already working on delivering physically meaningful items, including music, because you know music and jam sessions are. Uh, you caught me by surprise because jam sessions are such an important part of human togetherness. Uh, and I forgot about gem sessions and its natural fit into space. So I, I, I just got excited about hearing what you said and I jumped in. I apologize if I did it ahead of the others, but uh, just wanted to say hello to beautiful people here before I have to take off. Thank you for letting me share, Lady Racket. Thank, thanks for adding, Lady Racket. Were there any other comments or questions on this one? Okay, then I'll switch the link to um, our guest speaker from yesterday, which was um, organic neuromorphic devices. He um, is it up? 
is it the right one this time? <laughs> <laughs> so we had, uh, just to explain the situation, we had a introduction meeting a few minutes before we had the, our guest speakers. And I just tried out to put up a link so he could see how it works here on Clubhouse when there's the paper posted, how people will see it. And I thought <laughs> I clicked the, um, I copied the, the actual paper from the next room, but apparently I somehow copy pasted the same again. And uh, usually I have in my notes what's going on in the rooms that day. And I have a bunch of links there. And <laughs> I must have clicked the wrong one. And it was like really late on. <laughs> In that talk, he said, this is not my paper, but it's an interesting <laughs> study. So he was such a great speaker. Like the, the, That one, the one that you posted right now, definitely does go to the right. <laughs> okay, yeah. yeah, it was funny because I didn't notice that he wasn't the author. And I started asking him about, are we going to get onto your, your work? And <laughs> such an embarrassing. I moment. think somebody in the chat already mentioned it. I said, no, no, that's the right one. And I didn't really, I don't know. I also didn't sleep much and I was kind of sick. I don't know. I was totally blocked. So next time, please, anyone correct me and say, no, you're being stupid. Like, this is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so please do it <laughs> when I'm stupid. <laughs> um, yeah, so, yeah, he is at Max Planck now. Um and he was such a nice guest speaker and he really explained everything really well. So <clears throat> basically what he wants to recreate in an artificial way is a material that kind of reflects more of what's going on in the brain. So um, he uses these artificial materials to um, recreate um, um, in this paper, global oscillations that you can record in the brain and that they can synchronize in a neural network, like uh, similar to what you see in the brain. And then also create something like a long-term memory in that physical, in that fi not just uh, a long-term memory in, um, uh, in a way that you have code like that's a code-based algorithm that will create some sort of digital version of a long-term memory but a physically embedded artificial long-term memory basically and and uh, oscillation brain oscillations so um, so he discusses this here in the paper uh how um how he did this and uh it's really an ingenious way and what i think is uh, really important about this it's exactly that so we had here on clubhouse or i had here on clubhouse um in a different in uh in, in another club um the miguel nicolelis and ronald sucaro and also we had other discussions about this topic that um, it will be really difficult to recreate whatever is going on in our brain if there is no real physical change 
to the material where this computation is happening, just like it happens in the brain, <coughs> to replicate that form of intelligence. Um, so, um, and that's what he is attempting to do and actually managing to do step by step, um, you know, not completely, but uh, that's why I think this, um, his research is really important to basically create a artificial version of what happens in um, our brains and then also to not just to recreate, but then also to study it, right, in the model. Um, so um, that's why I think this is really cool, but please add anything to it that you would like to say. Well, I thought it was so fascinating because I have this keen interest in, you know, embodied uh, intelligent systems. And he, his, he was doing some very basic and groundbreaking science on developing these systems. He, I, I, you know, my imagination sort of carried me off into applications and, and he regrouped and, and emphasized the basic research. And yes, of course. But it was a a, a very uh, you know modern and uh, new way of approaching. Oh, it's fundamentally analog systems, but in but but physical systems in the actual loop where we can couple um, electromagnetic signals, potentially light signals, but um, ion selective type of you know membranes. And and you know I I thought it was um, you know cool to imagine scaled up compartmental systems that can, you know, have a, a, a time dependent evolution of uh, the, the, their actual composition and have that coupled into different types of signaling. And it was a, it was a really fascinating um, approach to, uh, you know, how we might get to these real time physical systems in the loop um, in our endeavors for more um, synthetic intelligence. Yeah. Serena, you missed the, the power up that I was waiting for you to talk about that. I missed the what? The You were mentioning the other, uh, when we were in the room the other night, the 20 watts component. Do you oh, oh yeah, that? The, the, um, he made an, you know, an interesting point in the beginning that these supercomputers and, you know, our contemporary approaches to AI have these you know, huge uh, kilowatt level power demands, whereas the brain essentially operates on 20 watts. Um, and uh, what is an what is an emphasis uh, for his work is these very low power systems that can capture the essential behavior of, um, you know, of these of of you know a neuromorph neuromorphic uh, inspired types of computations or analogs. Um, so it, it's, it's, it's very, and he was emphasizing, you know, specific polymer, you know, derived systems that could be, um, you know, more akin to tissues and, uh, you know, in, embedded in, in into tissues and, and types of soft actuation systems. Um, so we're very fascinating and, um, you know, aspect of that is, yeah, the, the, so, you know, how much, you know, choose your metric of computation per watt is, you know, if you're normalizing by the power it took you to produce that result, um, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's a very different standard, but it's, 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 um, has uh, a great deal of application for embedded systems in robotics. So, 
it's yeah it's a fascinating one the only thing i didn't get to ask him uh, in retrospect was um, if that 20 watts is during maximum utilization or during sleep or you know which stage but regardless of which stage that's at 20 watts versus 20 kilowatts um, for potentially the same sorts of operations is just pardon the pun mind blowing <laughs> yeah it's essentially a laptop <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> And then the other interesting thing was that uh, this was not like necessarily, this was part of the discussion section, but um, he was discussing the ability to intercept memory formation and how that had been shown experimentally, which is really interesting. Hi, everybody. Sorry, I'm late. How is everyone? Thanks for joining us, Jamie. We're uh, just reviewing some of the uh, some of the sessions that we were going over did you I think you were at the uh, the organic neuromorphic circuitry discussion was there anything that stood out to you out of that talk do you mean the one it was yesterday was it yesterday the organic was <laughs> there so much stuff going on I can't even keep track of the yeah. Um one thing that stood out is I think that I think there was was the one guy who got on stage, was he drunk? Oh, never mind about the, the Yeah. <laughs> the the bloopers and the outtake we can <laughs> Because because at first I was wondering what was going on with that and then it was like I like electronics and I like So some something, something was going on with him. Something was going on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I um, know him. In a word, yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> at first I was like, oh, where's the go with this question? Oh, oh. <laughs> and I was like, quick, let's ask, let's ask, um, ask the speaker something else so he doesn't think we're trolling him. You know? Um, but I, I thought, actually, the, the thing about the talk with um, the, the doctor yesterday as uh, I was trying my best to think of something intelligent to ask him because it sounded so freaking complicated. I was like, um, uh, I was like, this stuff sounds really advanced. I couldn't even really get my head around exactly um, what he was like, kind of working with, eh? Um, but it was, it was really interesting. What were your thoughts? Yeah, um, yeah, maybe, um, I don't know, I don't, maybe if you don't know some electrophysiology properties of neurons, maybe it can, um, yeah, it can be complicated. So, yeah, if we have, like, suggestions for, for rooms where we, like suggestions like this are good because then I can give feedback to the guest speakers for next time maybe to explain that maybe I would or anyone would explain first some some basic um, um, electrophysiology os osmosis type of <laughs> principles first I don't know mm. well, well it was like um, I mean he was talking about like the um, uh the the possibilities were kind of endless with it um and and yeah i felt like sometimes like if i was asking something or someone else was asking something uh i was feeling like 
we weren't quite quite getting what he was doing because he was because he was so focusing on on specifically his research right he would uh he was almost like a talkers in the past day who don't really like to to postulate on possible future applications he was very strictly sticking to his his work in, in terms of research and whatever um it was making it um and in, in no way his fault this is like my fault for being a bit dumber um but difficult to to kind of place it in in context as it were you know are we discussing uh yesterday's speaker yeah, yeah, I think oh, yeah, yeah. The the paper at the top tripped me up so much. <laughs> so I was like, what? <laughs> that was that was uh, yeah, that was the one because that was from the the Mar Mar Marco. Yeah. Yeah, I had such an embarrassing moment with that one, but that... The, see what he said. See what he said. I'm not familiar with that paper. <laughs> He was like, yeah, yeah, that's a that's a great paper, although it has nothing to do with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was completely my fault. But next time, as I say, um, just let me know, like, text me, say it out loud. Oh, no, no, it was, I thought I was stupid. I was like, wow, I know so little. How, how are these things connected? Jeez. Wow, don't I feel dumb. I should ask questions to make sure. Not that you're stupid. Just when assume that I'm stupid. <laughs> like, please, next time. When, when, I, when I noticed the thing still pinned up, hey, like, um, I mean, I was going, oh, I wonder why that's still pinned up. And of course, like, uh, I, I just was assuming, could you, well, that's the thing, I was confused because you know how you had the intro room before that, Katharina, right? And then when uh, he was going, do you have a desktop thing? And I think I thought, is he really going to stop everything to install the desktop thing now? And then when he said, oh, you know, we'll work on that later, I, I actually thought, um, like the intro room was actually the thing starting. So I didn't realize it was like it's going to happen in a few days' time. So have time. Completely different person. Yeah, and it was a completely <laughs> different person. And, and I couldn't, I couldn't <laughs> distinguish because one was Greek and one was uh, Italian. And my ear couldn't really, I was like, they don't sound quite the same, but these are still pinned <laughs> up. So are they the same? I, I have no idea what's going on. So I'm just going to roll with it anyway. And it was only when um, when, uh, when, he's, when they mentioned about uh, your paper's really interesting there. And I was like, oh, now it's all coming clear. Completely different person. Accidental pen up, okay, all, all the pieces fought together, yeah. Well, it was funny because he had a very terse uh, introduction, and then I thought he just paused and he was going to go cover the paper that was pinned, and I was all, you know, ready to ask a question about figure four, and it, wasn't, it just wasn't his work. So, Ooh, and well, I remember, Dennis? Hey, guys, I just want to chime in very quickly. Um, Katarina leads a great room, but I went and followed Dennis's suggestion on Jam Session in Space, and just want to share with you that I found out that, uh, and I wish I could share a beautiful picture of the first original Jam Session in Space, which happened, uh, and I look at the picture with Bawawaikas and just like a friend Mars has in his hand a guitar, 
and it was performed on April 27, 2018 by, well, music unites people, doesn't divide people, because the jam session was performed by American and Russian astronauts. So uh, that's cool. Just, that's really cool. Yeah. So I was I don't know how to do it. Send you a link, but I found it on NASA um, web pages under "Out of This World Gem Session." And it, you know what? It picture is absolutely amazing because just like you said, they are sitting in the middle of this tin can called International Space Station, but they have all those incredible instruments in their hands. And they are attached, they are attached, so they do not, you know, fly in the air. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, I would love to see them float around playing guitar. You know what, that might, that. might be the next one. And uh, so, so enjoy it if you can find it, I think it's great. So the precedence has been set, uh, which is cool. And because Katerina is not only a scientist, uh, but also entrepreneur, uh, it might be appropriate to mention um, uh, under her curation of the subject, if you want to follow it up. Uh, but here's, uh, here's my observation. Uh, massive amounts of brand new wealth created by Bitcoin, Shiba and others. And with upcoming uh, conference in Miami, Bitcoin 2022, which is bringing the biggest um, so-called Bitcoin whales. Um, I don't know how you feel about it, and maybe you know more, but I haven't seen initiatives that would ask for a funding of a challenging research and development projects by keepers of this very new wealth, especially Shiba, which last time I checked, I think the, the value gathered by Shiba token holders is about five or $50 billion, some kind of insane amount with nothing to do until Elon Musk will take Shiba to the moon. And Elon Musk is the, the, the spiritual leader of this entire stuff. So uh, not for this, for this moment, but um, because of the upcoming conference in Miami, uh, you know, research and development and startups sponsored by uh, Bitcoin wells. Um, and um, circling back to Elon Musk, who is looking for productive use of the cryptocurrencies that his patronage created. Uh, again, uh, because yeah. Katrina is wearing many hats here as an entrepreneur. So thank you for letting me share. Yes, yeah, she pasted the link to the top of the room and it does show the astronauts with the instruments. It's great. That's so cool. Yeah, thank you, you for, for finding that and then sharing that with us. That was a great Yeah, thank you. Thank that's, you. That was really cool. You're welcome. It's fun. Well, then if you brought it up. <laughs> Thank you for letting me share. Yeah, that's so great. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks very much. Yeah. And then, um, and then Eric and Dr. Shaw were also at that session. Were there any takeaways that you wanted to to share with us from that session? Hi, everyone. Thank you, lady, for sharing, I mean, uh, the paper on the top. So back to the previous, I mean, topic, I was really ready to ask very good question from him so if serena never mentioned about it i never noticed that by the <laughs> way that was a very very good week i think that i learned a lot and as always katrina always holding very good quality rooms as always 
Oh, thank you. Yeah, like I had two screw ups this week with um, Mackenzie Lewis. He's so nice, and I had the emergency at work, so I came late. But Victoria, who's not here, and I wanted to make a special thanks, shout out to Victoria that she took over the first 20 minutes of the room really well and interviewed him really well, and he was very happy and said that we have a very special and great thing going here with Science Society, and he's happy to come back. So she totally saved this. <laughs> she was brilliant. She was brilliant. Yeah. And Jamie was also there asking a lot of great questions. So, yeah, if you have anything more to share about um, Mackenzie's room, um, please also go ahead and because it's a really... It's a really great technology he, uh, he helped developing that I think will be very useful in the future. I think Eric was also very excited about it. Find, and then I, I did the scrub with, the, with pinning the wrong link. So that speaker from that paper will be coming at the same time, funnily, uh, on Saturday, next Saturday at the same time, Saturday 1 p.m. EST. And he's a really great Italian physics researcher and it's a really great fundamental work that he's doing well good i, I can ask him about dr that. mckenzie's work <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> you know i actually found dr mckenzie quite inspirational and that was because you know when he gave his little backstory about how he got to where the position he's in um it sounded so much like it was just it was literally uh, a person with an incredibly inquiring mind who just went to where the answers you know just where the information led you know like how he said um working in a lab and for astronomy was better than working in a shop and he loved astronomy so he got into that but then he couldn't go any further because he he didn't do he wasn't really enjoying it, so there's certain parts of it so much, and then boom, he was doing biology, and it's like, it's almost, it, he made it sound, he was so humble in it, he made it sound like he was fumbling his way through this, this incredibly intelligent level of learning. Um, and I actually found that very down-to-earth and inspiring, and, and very worthy of my respect, I found. I want to draw attention to that photograph of the space jammers again. One of them is holding what looks like a pot and he's using it as drum, as I was mentioning before about um, just being able to improvise musical devices for, for vagal tone. So that's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> Did they actually manage to get a guitar up on there? Because they carefully uh, monitor like what goes up in terms of weight and size. There, and there are two guitars, um, this improvised drum, a flute, and it looks like a piccolo or some other woodwind instrument. That's cool. I wonder what it must feel like being on a space station and like looking down at the earth. And, I mean, would they be seeing it as like, why is everyone fighting down there? It's just one world. There are astronauts that have been quoted. Um, I forget which which astronaut on the moon had a quote about you know 
Well, when you look at Earth, you know, our, our only home in the, the universe currently, and you look down on it and you look at all the, the petty bickering, like you just want to drag these people up here by the scruff of their neck and be like, look down at that. Like there's, um, even when William Shatner, I thought they were going to shatter Shatner when they launched him up there because he was so old, but fortunately he made it back in one piece. Um, he was, he was completely, he felt complete change in his perspective. And um, those are not the only two examples of people who have a really uh, different outlook on human affairs on the surface of the planet once they're able to watch it from orbit. Yeah, I agree. Um, I heard a lot about this too, like a lot of articles and statements from people. So, um, yeah, so this was this week. I think it was uh, great. What I'll also do, like, you know, our more social type of round discussion rooms, I think I will stop recording them like i stopped recording at some point on friday evening that's why we don't have a recording of that i'll because some people mentioned in the chat and so on they said yeah i don't want to talk about this topic if it's recorded so in the future i mean we can all um, talk about this what do you guys think is the best way to handle this but uh, maybe we don't record like the more round table discussions in the future. What do you guys think? What's the nature of the disagreement or the topic that people didn't want it to be recorded? Yeah, and I don't want people to like inhibit, like be inhibited and not speak their mind. So um, yeah, maybe. Yeah, because uh, one thing that I heard from. Um... Uh, another person on here was that uh, some people who were kind of vicious or whatever were taking these recordings and sending them to the dean's office or other places. Like I had this happen to us early on in the um, in the uh, pandemic, where the ethics office reached out to us because of uh, some things we said on here. So, it, like it, it wasn't there was no controversy. It was like uh, the whoever reported it. Uh, was basically trying to do something, but like legally, technically, there was no problem. So I think that isn't a real concern that if people are malicious or mean, uh, it can cost people sometimes their job. So from that perspective, I agree, but I don't know what kind of co uh, controversial conversation we could engage in that would cause uh, people to get in trouble. I think we usually keep it very professional. So to me, it's surprising because I personally like to have a recording of things. Like if we're ever having a meeting or something, I usually try to keep very good notes so I can always go back and refer to things. So, but I am curious what everyone else thinks. So, well, you know, in one sense, anyone in the audience can record it. And so the, there's a false sense of security of thinking that in a such a public forum such as this, that your audio wouldn't be captured by, you know, if somebody's going to, you know, do, mo I suppose replays are, you know, what's, what's the saying to keep the honest people honest, but, but anyone can, you know, record and the servers could, could be having backups and, you know, so in, in essence, 
if you you have something to say, um, you, you you know it, you're better off assuming that it's going to be recorded somewhere, and, and just not, not so say hard. yeah, not say stupid things, you know, or not say things that you wouldn't want to own. I uh, I don't know the full context of this, this conversation, but uh, to to Serena's point, having the full recording might actually be uh, a safeguard. Uh, you know, someone else is recording things and taking things out of context. Yeah, you would at least have the the full the full context, uh, the full conversation in which this you know this bit was being misconstrued. Exactly. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah, I love uh, that point. Okay, so I'll keep record. So I'll keep have recordings on. Um, I stopped the recording at some point. It would also have stopped at some point because I think the max is three hours. Now Friday night room went on for I don't know until when did it go on? <laughs> I don't know. I closed the room around like one thirty a.m. my time. So it would be. It was three a.m. my time when you closed it. <laughs> Okay, so we started at 9 p.m. and then we ended at 4.30 my time. So <laughs> the recording wouldn't have been going on. For, I think there's a limit of three hours or something. So, but yeah. Uh, then I think I, it's six hours maybe? Oh, no, it's oh. six hours. Okay, then, then I then thought I, I heard oh. six hours too, yeah. Uh, okay. Although, although I, I did seem to, I mean, just you know, throwing it out there as um, like maybe not bothering to record the round table because a lot of it's like very you know we're just speculating and throwing out ideas and and i mean don't get me wrong i find this this particular club in this this room exceptionally exceptionally mature and everyone's handling of everybody else's like respect and perspective is i'm genuinely i mean i've i've been in other rooms that claim to be highbrow and they still seem to bicker and but here um everybody's willing to let everybody talk and no matter how silly my suggestions were that night at the round table there like dennis and and everybody else was all um entertaining them and um what was his name he was a great guy the the indian doctor um god he was Ar so smart Arvin. what was arvin huh? Yeah, Arvid was, was, was incredible. Like, I, I was blown away with how like incredibly intelligent he was, and he was like taking uh, the Australian guy Alex on, on a journey of how all this some of this stuff works. But um, but I mean, so far there's not been any big controversy. Anyway, in summary, because it's like a a, a free chat and everything like that, it just maybe maybe mad ideas more rather than discussing from a, a particular perspective if it wasn't recorded um that would maybe make people feel more comfortable to come up with a silly idea yeah so okay. to give people context uh who wasn't here so it the discussion started with recent wired articles about how satellites um were recently used for cyber attacks to attack specific countries defense like of course ukraine but then how the spillover effect then affected a lot more people in europe that they lost internet and some are still not having internet back on and then also an article how scientists are using uh uh old uh, satellites that are supposed to be destroyed soon 
to um, do some um, experiments and tests with it um, and how regular people actually could uh, jam those and use those satellites to spread their um, ideas and um, stream to basically a large, very large population fairly easily. There was, I think, an arrest recently in Brazil where an organization like used all these older satellites to uh, spread their stuff uh, through it. Um, so yeah, there are different ways how satellites can be used in like a malicious way and also against international law because you, if you affect other countries that are not part of a active war conflict, um, you basically affect neutral countries and that goes against international law. So it started with that and then the room went on to all kinds of topics and then Arwind and I don't know what was the other uh, person that came. They brought it back to satellite and GPS and, and then they talked a lot about technologies behind that and, uh, and new technologies being developed and so on. So it was really interesting. But and I fall I fell asleep at some point, so I missed like two hours. So yeah. If I may, I would like to uh, share, based on what Katarina talked about satellites um, as an ultra-timely subject, um, and I'm sure a lot of you know that Ukraine is now a pivotal uh, case of uh, life dependence on satellites uh, for everything, uh, including their ability to communicate with us. And I just want to humbly say that I was, I just completed my room where I was in touch uh, uh, with Ukrainian people also for my documentaries that I am producing about what's happening there. So uh, the satellite technology delivered by Elon Musk, Starlink, uh, is of pivotal importance because it was dropped into the middle of the war before Russians could get, you know, organized for that. And ongoing uh, deployment of additional links keeps Ukrainians connected to us, uh, including this morning interview that, that heroic President Zelensky delivered to Meet the Nation. On the technology and the science part that you are focused on, uh, and my tilt toward the economies of the science and technology, there is a brilliant new technology developed by Exotus Orbital company. Happen happened to be started by a scientist from Russia who now lives in in uh, Toronto that solves the paramount problem of satellites, which is a high cost of usage. In fact, that we cannot use it freely based on our needs. Uh, he developed um, a software and technology that allows to buy and access sliver of the data that you might be interested in instead of having to buy firehouse of data that now uh, we are forced to do if you want to use satellite data. Uh, so um, Orbital Exodus, uh, uh, launched by Ukrainian scientist Denis Slim, is democratizing access to technology of satellites, which I think is uh, very important for many reasons. 
Thank you for letting me share, Lady Racket. Wow, that's really interesting. And I I really like the um, Elon Musk project in the way that he's focusing to bring the internet and access to this in countries where the infrastructure for internet and all of this is really, really um, not there. Uh, so I really appreciate and what he did to help uh, the Ukrainians uh, was really important. And um, and also, I love the lack of bureaucracy that um, was that this was done with, you know, you, you, usually they needed an official um acknowledgement yes. from the government from the ukrainian yes. government the permission to land with the equipment but the government couldn't and then i think uh the president sent a tweet or somebody of the team sent a tweet yes and yes, they did exactly. it i mean that is amazing yes keep all the bullshit and just doing it is yeah amazing. exactly and he responded you're absolutely right it was minister of foreign relations that sent the Twitter saying, hey, Mr. Musk, while you are staying busy trying to get to Mars, how about doing something useful on planet Earth and getting us some of your satellites? And it looks like Elon Musk has a good people screening his Twitters because, you know, he gets uh, hundreds of thousands of them, but he responded appropriately in his style in, uh, in real time. Uh, so you're absolutely right. Uh, and I think that privatization, what you touched on, Katerina, in, in your style, is incredibly important subject, privatization of research and development results. Or, or I would say, again, uh, something that is in your bio, being a scientist and entrepreneur, is a necessary formula for acceleration of the human progress. So the science is not only in the hands of governments and big corporations or even esteemed organizations like NASA, but in the hands of um, risk-taking entrepreneurs so we can deploy it faster and, like you said, without the red tape. And if I can plug in something um, of a philanthropic value that comes from my commitment to the subject, if you can allow me uh, 30 seconds of self-promotion, I launched NFTs called Satellite Rhinos, Satellite Rhinos, uh, to touch on something that you also talked, to finance access to satellite data for the purpose of locating poached rhinos in South Africa so Dr. Johan, who has an incredible organization on the ground, can get to them in a real time because satellite can locate and deliver the information. And it, it is impossible to finance projects like this. So I decided to use NFTs uh, to finance use of the technology that doesn't really fit either in the venture capital or Goldman Sachs or, or university agenda. Uh, so I think your room is very interesting to me because you bring thought of science, research development, while also fostering a discussion of how to, what to do with it. So thank you for letting me share. You know, yeah. it is worth, a, a, oh, I just want to quickly um, 
add to that. It is, it is worth more of a discussion. There is uh, so much wealth in these new uh, Bitcoin millionaires, and and um, I, you know, you, it would be far more impressive to see them do something with you it. You got it in, in the area of R and D, and uh, you know, non-conventional funding. I, you know, remember how frustrating it is to try and write to the NIH to, you know, and how single digit levels a decade ago were being funded and so much good research just, you know, dies on the vine because so, it can't find funding. I am de delighted, Serena, that you picked up on it and I'd be very happy to be, uh, how to describe my role. I am one of them, but I am one of us. And I am sitting at the table and I see what type of projects are discussed. And I have not seen, uh, not that I know every meeting or every, every place, but I am usually actively participating in, in conferences or gatherings, or I use, I use Bitcoin and cryptocurrency to finance my own research development of sorts, my startups. So yeah, there is absolute, I would even say obligation that we have to assert our initiative to go and say, hey, listen, whale billionaire, what useful have you done so far uh, in addition to just parking your wealth and talking to us about Bitcoin till, till it becomes boring? And the reason that I wanted to you know, tickle this subject in front of you is because next week, uh, starting on April 6, uh, again, Bitcoin 2022, the pivotal conference of this nature. Take a look at the agenda. Take a look at the speakers. Uh, you can even, you know, approach it on your own. But there is nothing that speaks highly about importance of science and getting it funded by Bitcoin. So uh, I'm delighted that you found some some uh, potential interest in it because I think it's untapped source. I think after you make your first billion, you should get a trophy that says, congratulations, you won everything. And then every other billion after that should go right back into the public. Well, give them some award. Yeah. It destabilizes, it destabilizes the ecosystem. When there's all this resource hoarding, it literally leaves everyone to fight over less. And people need things. These guys don't need more money than they can spend in 10 lifetimes. They just don't. But other people need that money to live. Well, they are doing that. They are getting organized to feed Africa. They are getting organized to you know, sprinkle some money on the climate change. But I am talking about highly visible, uh, highly promoted, uh, authentic uh, challenge given to, to those billionaires to put them on the record. And I'm just, you know, speaking out of, you know, reacting to what you said, and uh, I, I haven't talked about it before, but I am, I am tempted to uh, launch a documentary uh, uh, reaching some of those people and saying, okay, we want to interview you about what your position on funding research with your, you know, incredible new wealth that they are speaking about so openly. Um, because, you know, ultimately, if you get them out in the public, put them on the spot, decision-making process might be more fun, you know, because there needs to be also thrill and fun and more unusual. 
But anyway, I will leave you with with those thoughts. Unfortunately, I had to take off. I have my my science and space projects to attend. But one key message: uh, NFTs allow to democratize access to wealth by creating your own. And if three years ago someone would tell me that I would be able to sponsor and finance project that involves SpaceX of going to the moon, uh, I would be doubtful. I am doing it. An economic model behind it is NFT. So leaving you with that, look for your NFT in your research, in your life, because that's you know one of the resources we people can, can use now. So, uh, and if anyone wants to learn how to finance uh, using NFTs and investors, early stage Mission Impossible projects, like uh, what we've been doing with my team, I am happy to share our experiences. Uh, by the way, the NFT is called To the Moon, and it involves incredible research and science company called Lunar Outpost, uh, who is our partner, the first private company that created moon rover that was approved by scientists of NASA uh, to be qualified to be taken to the moon and uh, my NFTs are part of it. Mine, Copernic Space, a company that I founded. So there is, you know, there's a wealth to be tackled. Thank you for letting me share and I always appreciate the gracefulness of Katarina and Serena to have me here. And have a wonderful day and stay safe. Thank you very much. Have a good evening. Oh, good <laughs> Thank evening. You for so where are you? Where are you located? But, Me? Yes, if you're saying evening. Where are oh. you? Oh, right. I, I'm in Edinburgh. I'm in Scotland. Oh, you're in Scotland. Oh, beautiful place. Visit at your place. Okay, then have a good evening. I am in Los Angeles, so it's a lunchtime pretty much. Ah, okay. That explains it. Okay. Have, a, have a good <laughs> yes. lunch. But my son is near Ukraine border, so he's more in your time zone, and I need to catch up with him still. Uh, so oh, I'm, wish, I'm wishing him well. I'm wishing him thank well. Thank you. He is, uh, I wouldn't call it stuck there, but it's a dramatic situation. He's an American, and our company uh, has scientists in Ukraine. So anyway, he's there, but his baby bo boy was born at the first day of war. So he cannot move easily or come back to the United States. So thank you for letting me share my personal story that normally I do not do. But... No, please, you're welcome. I, well, I mean, I'm speaking yes, for everybody. Thank, thank you. Thank you, thank thank you. Very inspiring yes. words. Love thank you, you guys. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank, thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you. So I wanted... Oh, Leanne, go ahead. Oh, I Well, I was just... The topic of um, what research gets funded is something that I have strong feelings about and um, have had many experiences with both from the point of view of applying for grants and and reviewing grants and um, my conclusions for after all that is that uh, the, the more um, trivial and, and, and incremental the research is the quicker it is for the reviewers to just quickly say oh yeah that that um, that would be valuable and if it's actually groundbreaking or, or or you know revolutionary in some way it really takes more than the amount of space that is generally 
provided in these forms to actually lay out why it's important and why it's groundbreaking. And it also requires much more of the reader, like the reviewer, to really think that through. And um, most governments, for example, if it's government grants, they only fund, you know, they're, they're not going to benefit anything from which the benefits are going to be realized in more than four years because they're they are um, they're going to be gone in four years, so they tend to fund uh, short-term research. But the more quickly the world is changing, the more important it is to to emphasize groundbreaking over incremental research and to emphasize theoretical um, research over highly applied research. Because you know, if you have a static world, then that's great. You just optimize to the conditions that are present. So, you know, um, so if there's some some uh, virus that's a problem, then you you talk about specifically that virus and, you, you know, you put out a proposal about how to um, solve the problem of that virus. But if you have a changing environment, then uh, by the time the grant gets reviewed and the proposal comes back with the funding, you know, the virus is already mutated. It's, it's something else. Your whole method is going to be um, irrelevant at that point, right? And so in a changing environment like we have now, like we have increasing over, you know, this, this century, um, it's ever more important to think about long-term solutions and to think about theoretical research versus very applied research. Because theoretical research, it takes longer to realize the applications of it, but there are more applications that there are more potential applications for it. And, you know, when we first thought of electricity, we, we had no potential understanding of how it might be at all useful, right? Because it requires a whole new mindset to think about how that could be useful. And so, yeah, I've, I'm becoming a little bit um, pessimistic about this uh, or skeptical, but yeah, what I see getting funding is the stuff that uh, people can review most quickly and just say, oh yeah, that would be useful. And without really having to think it through carefully or deeply. And, and then it ends up becoming, you know, who can play the game, who can get yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, it's something you can, I don't know, we could talk forever about just that. Are you talking I, about the, oh, sorry. Again, <laughs> that's why I'm not in academia mostly uh, anymore because, you know, they have all these fake grants that are for apparently high risk, high um high outcome uh, grants but they are never really high risk so all the stuff that absolutely I'm, yeah 100 percent. all the stuff that i really wanted to do never got funding and always those stupid projects that you know i got on grants were the stuff that i really didn't actually want to work on because it's like i thought why what for like this is mostly known, like, why am I doing this? And everything that I actually wanted to do didn't get funding. But recently, some people published those ideas. So that was exciting. Because out of frustration, also, at some point, what I did, I would just write hypothesis papers and just either, you know, put them <clears throat> up on on ResearchGate or stuff like that, or there are some journals that uh, publish hypothesis papers. So I, out of frustration, I, I just put them up and hoped and sent it to people. 
you know, if you have a rich lab, please, please do this <laughs> because I will never get funding for this. So, yeah, so anyway. You know, it's really funny about playing the game and, you know, in pursuit of old world money. <laughs> um, the, the story that I often, I've often heard and told is the original funding for the television. The, um, the pitch was uh, a remote check cashing system. So a banker in New York could watch somebody in Chicago sign a check. And, and they <laughs> got that and that funded the television. Oh, that makes me sick. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 what's so, but look how ridiculous that is and, and how, how far, you know, for something as groundbreaking as the television, um, you know, what, what had to be said to get it sold. And um, I, I, I do hope we, we find the ways to uh, get these uh, higher risk, uh, more aggressive projects funded through this newfound wealth um, that Lady Rocket was mentioning. And because uh, we, we definitely need new instruments for funding groundbreaking research without doubt. That was something that sounded good about, oh, sorry, go Please. Charity is no substitute for properly taxed wealth. Again, <laughs> yeah, and you can't uh, you can't spend a billion dollars in a lifetime yeah. as an individual, and but the you know to go to Musk, um, the, the Amazon just unionized in New York, and those the these are and I understand he's not part of. Or sorry, that's uh, that's Bezos, <laughs> wrong billionaire. Sorry, wrong billionaire. I mean, there's only so many of them in, in the world. How could I confuse them? Yeah, it's not like uh, back in time we had a certain amount of problems, right? Uh, where it was maybe kind of enough to have a few rich people doing really innovative research. You know, the model that like in uh, back in time in UK and in Europe the model that a few aristocrats that had money anyways and uh, didn't rely on any payments could do really groundbreaking research. I mean, this was the case for a long time. When I actually started uh, my masters uh, in Germany, the payment was so bad and I already had the, I was a single mom back then. So, um, I said, yeah, I can't survive on that. So I have to do this part-time because I have to do another job. And the answer was, yeah, you're not supposed to be in science and actually have the need to live of it. <laughs> that was what my professor said. So this mindset in like all the professors back then was still there. Like, you know, <laughs> this was beginnings of 2000. So, um, yeah, so, uh, but we don't have that luxury anymore. We have way too many issues to solve. Like we need way too many innovations to keep relying on uh, that you only get real innovation done if you're rich anyways, or you have rich parents or something. And most of them go into, I don't know if they would actually, nowadays they, they mostly travel around and, and do some Instagram profiles anyway. So. That, that's, that's, uh, I feel like that goes to the point of the, the properly taxed wealth. Um, but it does, it is, you know, it's older than, than, um, than 
moneyed currency. It's, uh, you know, if you look back at ancient times, who were the scientists? They were, their patrons were the, the people who had the most resources because then they had some resources to spare. Yeah. 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 And, but it also goes into, we have to actually pay the researchers appropriately. Uh, you know, when I read, um, so for example, me as a postdoc, when I arrived here, my pay was 34,000 K a year with three kids and a husband. And my visa was supposed to be that um, I can afford here in New York <laughs> to, uh, like we could all survive on that because you have to, when you ask for then work permit for your spouse, and usually it's the men that come with the visas, but um, you have to basically write a letter and say, yeah, we don't, I don't need my husband to work, you know, my money is enough, but for fun and for him to have a continuation of his career, we would like to have a work permit for him so he can like for fun continue <laughs> doing something and not be bored while we are in the US. So that's ridiculous, right? I mean, <laughs> and then when I looked into what uh, from our senior, um, our uh, guest speaker from Google, Pedro Mrushan, um, he was making at UCLA as his first postdoc position. 27.5k a year and being in engineering that's like so ridiculous like because usually when you look at nih um they give basically a guideline how much you supposed to pay uh researchers and in engineering and physics it's always like the starting should be at sixty thousand. for biology it's like and like health related sciences it's supposed to be 47,000, but for engineers and physicists and so on should be starting point 60,000, but most of the time they get like 90,000 or so. So this is so ridiculous. Like we don't just have to make sure that the funding is there for the research, but also for the people that do the research, because then you keep losing all these minds to go off to this companies that can pay them a uh, so, uh, salary that makes them survive and then this goes away from the public research right this goes into private companies that read and you educated all these people for a lot of money and you're not um they don't stay in science like how many americans are in science that don't rely on a visa like as soon as people get their green card they go to companies more because it's just ridiculous the money you make and then that also leads into have less um, progress in real innovation because companies keep the insights to themselves. They are not open and share it on conferences, what they're actually doing and make collaborations to continue with the idea itself. It's uh, most of the time a secret of the company because patents don't really protect you from anything. So and not making your progress available to the community uh, slows down innovation also. So uh, that's another problem. This, this is a great way to control the big brains to keep them from taking over.
yeah, by letting stupid people have all this ridiculous money and greed going ridiculously unchecked. When I saw a, a TV, uh, I saw a thing about the ridiculously rich. Then uh, you know, you, when you're talking before dinner's about, um, you don't need more than a billion dollars, right? It's like um, these people were selling like complete, completely made out of diamond bras that couldn't be worn. But it's just so a multi-billionaire could buy it for his mistress or his wife. That that was like if there's anything about inventing a ridiculous niche for the ridiculous wealthy to burn money that could have helped everybody else, it just <sighs> so unnecessary. And then they go and they buy those institutions. You have Bloomberg. Um, who has bought out a whole bunch of institutions, and and the, there are, and I don't want to get into the details, but basically he also spent about $500 million on, um, well, which office did he run for recently? I don't remember, no, but the point is that... <laughs> he was a presidential candidate, yeah. But but the point is that 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 was a stunt campaign. I don't I don't necessarily think he actually had any intention of of seriously pursuing that. And like you know, think about that, five hundred million dollars. Like, what could that have paid for otherwise, rather than a stunt campaign? Didn't he also claim he wasn't going to fire everybody if he didn't like get into the the next stage, like uh, the whole campaign thing, or I can't, it was something like he was running something because he was doing the presidency stuff, and he was trying to like all say like um, I won't just leave everybody out in the lurch and fire people if they all kind of come with me. He didn't get through and then fired everybody. Yeah, well, before we, um, like we, before um you know, continuing with the more general discussions, which I'm happy to, like, I love, but um, I wanted to just update everyone. We have, like, and I saw some people just joining um, the dis Discord server. Uh, we just set it up, so there is not too much content right now other than updates what's happening next week. There's a channel event, so there are the links to the rooms that are coming up next week. Uh, we have a channel there with, um, if you want to make any suggestions, or and the general chat room uh, for now. Um, so, yeah, if you want to be part of it, you know, please click on it and um, be part of the discussion if you want to chat or leave questions there that I should send the guest speakers afterwards if you have any follow-up questions um, anything like that we can I think it's an easier way to do that maybe on discord in the future once we grow um, so yeah uh, check it out if you want um, and uh, yeah we have also a website and uh, I wanted to quickly let you know what we have going on next week so we have on Monday which is tomorrow um, Dr. Salamat he's an exogeologist and he will talk about his work this recent paper was how he and his team discovered a new form of ice 
but he will also talk more about a general his research project about exogeology. So it means geology in other plan on other planets, like what type of ice, what type of metals, like what stuff could be on other planets. So I think it's really cool research. Then we have Dr. Lenz presenting a human evolutionary distinctiveness based on his genetic research. I think that's pretty cool. The more we like, the more we, it's more, you know, the more we know, the better type of research. And uh, then we'll have Dr. Liang. She's actually at the company, um, a scientist where they create a carbon negative production of acetone, isopropanol. So they are basically a company that looks into uh, creating, uh, you know, more um, energy efficient and carbon, cutting down carbon emissions type of um, new company and research. And then we'll have Dr. Morin talking about elevated levels of hoarding and ADHD and his more mental health related research. And we have Dr. Emre on Friday um, that uh, published a really cool paper about using a nasal spray to stop memory decay in Alzheimer's. Uh, so I'm really excited about that. It was kind of in the news recently. And then on Saturday at 1 p.m. EST, we have Dr. Marco Pettini, you know, the paper that was posted yesterday about long distance electrodynamic intermolecular forces. So it's more a basic physics research uh, room on Saturday. And that's our next week. I'm excited about it. And um, yeah, thanks everyone for supporting this and uh, being here. So um yeah, I really appreciate this community that is growing out of this. Katharina, um, thank you very much for actually setting all these things up because I've came in here being like such a, like a, a nobody layman and I've stumbled across truly fantastic people. And I don't just mean the ones you're inviting as guests. You're all quite frighteningly intelligent and it's been an absolute pleasure here. And um, you, I was thinking about how busy you are and what you do and you still have so much like are you so willing to spend so much time bringing these incredible people in as guest speakers thank you so so much for that that's incredible yeah that's so nice of you yeah it's been always in my mind um to one that you know the phd program i was in it was founded by a really uh, fascinating uh, female researcher in immunology. And she um, had this idea to have a completely border-free school. And uh, it worked out for a bunch of years and was very successful. Like uh, uh, most people that came out of her PhD program are really major impactful scientists nowadays like um, um, my you know our alumni are really you know I'm the screw-up basically <laughs> like leaders of the neuroscience department of Columbia University and so on and so forth like 
Um, and the idea of the program was to have not these borders in science, like we could choose any scientific project. We were trained on all different science um, areas the first year by leading a scientist and travel around the world. And then we could choose any lab in any scientific field we wanted to do our PhD project. And that was a great inspiration. She um, she died uh, COVID, really early on in COVID. Uh, she she had the uh, you know she had cancer, but uh, she was getting better. But then COVID hit and, and she died. Oh, and this. Yeah, her her work inspired me to keep this somehow has her idea going and to turn this into something. So with the little resources I have, this is basically, you know, it's not my idea. I just carry that inspiration on. And a bunch of other of alumni of her are, are doing this in different ways. This is with the resources I have, what I can do is create this community and hopefully turning it into something bigger because I learned that creating a network like she created from all kinds of science fields and interesting people that are truly invested in just uh, a science community and, and doing great research is, is so valuable. So. Yeah, if we can bring this to more people, the better. So, uh, yeah, that's the well, I, idea. I can tell you this, Katrina, is being involved in these, uh, with, with all of you and talking and hearing and talking to some of these people, it's made me want to be better. Like, I've actually spent more time now picking up my programming and, and things like that and, and putting my more efforts into, like, learning more rather than sitting watching stupid Netflix TV shows that I've, <laughs> that I've done for a very long time. So it's... I'm finding it incredibly inspirational, so it's working on me. Yeah, I, I mean, I want to thank you too, Katarina, for being such a force of nature in putting all of these talks together, and it's and it's going so well. Let's all flash our mics for Katarina. Thank you. Uh, it's all thanks to you that you are also there to listen and participate. If it would just be me and the speaker, it would would be nothing. So you know, it takes. It takes a village to do this, and you guys are really special uh, that you support this, and uh, it creates friendships, and, uh, you know, it's all about, yeah, you know, our community, and uh, growing, and having each other in the same, you know, having people around that um, are passionate about um, these things is wonderful. I also really like it that the the speakers that you have in, um, they're not like lightweight speakers, right? They're not like, um, uh, you know, it, it's like these are really amazingly smart people, and not not the kind of ones that are like, uh, you know, like Neil deGrasse Tyson, right? That he'll come in, but he's he's almost like trained at this point to talk to people that go, "What's a star?" You know, like. That, that that sort of level where um, they're almost having to talk down to such a point. And not that that's not important for people and stuff, but I love that I love that these talkers make me work for it, make me want to understand 
rather than coming down to my level, make me kind of try and rise a bit farther to theirs. I actually really like that, like a, like a really high class of intelligent people and and crazily complex stuff. It gives me a much better idea of what's actually going on in the scientific community rather than just a, we're trying to build a robot. Some, you know, instead it's uh, the whole thing that I looked yesterday with the doctor was using chemicals and fluids and stuff and buy it to work with plastics. Oh, incredible. Yeah, thank you. It's also luck, of course, you know, but you can basically, it's kind of a pref because I don't know all, all every guest speaker that we get, like, I don't know them personally, some I know, others I don't, and, um, but guest speakers that agree to this setting, you know, are usually probably more open to this whole idea and the setting. That's already pre-selection. Once now I got, as I mentioned before, like um, now I get like email uh, answers that people look at our website and then see the other great guest speakers that came. And some people say, oh, this seems to be like a great opportunity. Um, so maybe that pre-filter in the future won't work as well. Um, because once it gets like kind of uh, you want to be on the list where this and this guest speaker was kind of effect you maybe will have so that's that's interesting i haven't thought about this so maybe in the future this will kind of be different that not everyone will be as nice uh, they will just do it because they want to be part of that list and be mentioned in the same sentence like uh, another guest speaker we had before. So that's something we should look at out for in the future. But I think we can handle it as a group uh, as long as their research is solid and, you know, their answers are fact-based and things like that, which we ensure based on the checks we do before we invite them. Um, I think we can handle also a little bit of <laughs> of not completely friendly people that are still professional, so I think it will still be fine. Yeah, it's probably probably gathering momentum, right? Like with this kind of speakers you like like you said there, like the more speakers that have are willing to come, the better the names, the other people who maybe would have like turned their nose up like I'm not really speaking a what what's this clubhouse thing? I'm I'm supposed to speak here. Instead to go, oh, this is a thing. Okay, I want in on this. Um I like that. Yeah, yeah. So I like having people that are not famous at all yet. Um I like supporting, you know, young scientists that are just starting postdocs or just finish their PhD or something, publish something really cool the first time. I like that too, to give them like a stage and they can also learn by being here to communicate. I think we had the week before somebody that was really not used to public speaking was of course a little bit different the dynamic in that room, but I think it was still pretty good and I think you know, I like the idea of uh, having kind of a setting where they can safely in our club 
train that, right? That public speaking setting before they go really to news outlets or some podcasts or YouTube channels where they will be then later on, you know. I think that's a great idea. Having the famous people on, like, I mean, obviously famous people are, well, famous, but like the, the kind of people you put on have been like incredibly interesting and, and, and no less amazing than any other stupid famous people we'll see on telly. Just that they're, whatever it is they're working on is, is is probably not as important to them to be famous about or that just that what they're actually working on is very difficult to market to the the common masses a bit because it's so like, specialised or so so um, complex, you know, but I, I'm, I'm well on I, I actually thought that I, this, this actually allows us to give some of these uh, incredibly smart people the the attention that they truly deserve, I think. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. I think, yeah, scientists deserve and engineers and so on deserve some. We could shift, hopefully. <laughs> that's a big goal. But to shift this, um, that actual people that actually do all these innovations we use and live right. to, to, that they get also some attention now how much, how much credibility is musk getting for like the thousands of people that are actually doing all like the breakthroughs and stuff i'm not saying he's doing nothing i'm just saying it's like i know that it's made to look like elon just puts on some goggles and disappears into your room and suddenly there's a new rocket ship and so it's like wow elon you're genius anybody can be genius if you can hire the amount of intelligent people he can yeah and also yeah uh, and also basic science like the science the basic science discoveries that are made today will maybe get used in the next 20 30 years it used to be like in the next 50 years or 100 years like theories of, of what Albert Einstein did are you know are con shown an experience like 100 years later and the actual usage of his gained knowledge was used like 50 years later but i guess that's accelerating a little bit but uh most of the time i mean albert einstein is is a very unique um example but most of the people we forget right or the the large community maybe not scientists because we built up on their work and we mention them and hopefully in our papers and stuff but for the large population they get forgotten and um, yeah and I agree they deserve more attention that reminds me Katrina um, you gave me a couple of uh, uh, papers looking at before right remember we were having the discussion about you know the, 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 the gene therapy of my and stuff right but one of the things uh, I was wanting to know is is there a what is the best way for someone like myself who isn't involved in uh, the university stuff to um, like want to read more of these papers and be a bit more informed and stuff? Because it seems that like you and, and Denise and and uh, and others have been like saying, I, I read this paper where this and this and this, um, and I've been like really wishing I could actually read them from. I said to the horse's mouth, you know, read the papers directly because uh, I've I've been under the, I've been just simply 
find some books like on Audible about general science or, or uh, you know, like the Great Courses Plus and things like that, right? But I, I've kind of always kind of felt I'd love to read these papers like directly so that I don't have to see it through a filter of a, a news headline and stuff like that. Like how, how was the best way for me to go about that and how could I, like, w would it be beneficial for someone like me to actually read science papers rather than things like headlines and new scientists and stuff? Well, it's difficult to answer that, right? Because, uh, so what you can do if you read a new scientist or whatever article in the end, somewhere should be the link to the actual article. Uh, usually they do. Either it's a link in the text or at the end there is the reference <coughs> and the duo I link to the actual paper. And then of course, you know, you have this major journals which is relatively boil you know, boiled down to just what a few reviewers think is uh, high impact and stuff. So they are way more scientific journals than their bio, uh, like repositories uh, to look into. Um, you know, it's really hard to keep up, but um, if you don't have the subscriptions, which are quite expensive, uh, the your libraries, I don't know, some local libraries have subscriptions to science journals like Science and Nature and and then there are open source ones like Frontiers and uh, Nature Communications. So you can, I think you can sign up to get like email updates, weekly email updates on what came out during that week in those journals and then you can boil down uh, what you want to read about you can do this also on pubmed also on pubmed should be every thing that uh was peer reviewed you can make an account and then you can uh, put in a uh, search or search filters um, to either authors that you want to follow like labs, authors that you want to follow. You can follow topics or specific proteins or receptors and whatnot, you know, like, or some specific disease. And then you can uh, uh, keep updated this way. So the biggest one, I guess it's PubMed, but it won't give you access to the full um, paper if it's behind the paywall and to get behind the paywall uh, you can either Google and sometimes you get them through other platforms or um, or you can check for your library or you can actually write the corresponding author an email and ask them, can you please send me the PDF of this paper? And if they are uh, regular, nice human beings, they will. If they are not, they won't. But uh, most of the time, people will answer and send you back the PDF if they are the author. Thank you very much. Uh, I, might, I might look into that. I actually, I did have an app. I'm trying to remember what it was. I put up my phone here and that was supposed to be like, it's filled with loads of uh, different papers and stuff like that. Um, problem is it was like, I could never really get it to work right. It wasn't wasn't incredibly accessible for me so when it was trying to like push me to read papers and stuff um 
it kept, uh, yeah, I uh, wasn't able to you know, delve into it as, as much as I liked because, it, of course, I obviously I didn't really want to try and pour money into something that I could barely use because that was just incredibly frustrating. So well, I have to leave, uh, you know, I have a family and it's Sunday, so, um, but uh, if you want to keep the room open, please go ahead, keep the room open, keep it going. Other than that, we will hear each other tomorrow again um, with our uh, outer planet geology room. Okay, you take care. You have a very good day, Katarina. Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone. Thank, thank you, you, Katarina. I should also Bye. go as well. So thanks, everyone. Take care, Serena. That's the, and that's the, I'm also going to leave and Dr. Miriam, I'm not sure if you're around, but it seems like people are ready to go. So no, we're gonna... hey, before, before you go, Dennis, right? Yeah. Um, just gonna, I was going to say, yeah, I had, I was totally saying your name wrong. I'm sorry. I thought your name was Dennis. And it was only when you said Denise, uh, that was when you said your name means the sea. It was like, oh no, I'd be getting it wrong this whole time. So sorry oh, don't, 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 um, don't worry about it. Do not worry about and, that at all. The other thing as well is, because um, I actually, is, is, Denise, is it like a, a unisex name then in Turkey or something That's, like yes, that? Because that I knew a woman correct. called... It is a unisex name. Yeah, because I knew a woman called Denise. Um, for, she was living in Turkey. And so when you mentioned like your name meant the sea, that's why I immediately knew the exact way it should be and why I was getting it wrong. So there you go. I learned something new every day. Yes, stick around. You will you will keep learning stuff as you already mentioned before that you've learned so much. That was that makes me happy to hear that um people learn when they're around us because I, I definitely aim for that sometimes are not are not are not so successful, but it's nice to hear that that's been rubbing off on you. Well yeah, uh, no at one hundred percent in fact I even wonder how you actually managed to, like to like like uh um I don't know how you managed to like learn so much, genuinely. Um, I, I, I feel very fortunate that I've got a lot of time to dive into things and still I'm not like a hundredth of, 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 I don't have a hundredth of knowledge base that you seem to, I just don't understand how you can like remember it all, you know? Remembering it all can be challenging. Um referencing things definitely refreshing your knowledge and then obviously um interacting with others it's it's a lot of uh it's a lot of reinforcing the neural pathways by repetition and then ideally you add more information and then just you know the more you the more you hang out with the nerds the more nerdy you get it just it's nerd <laughs> nerd mosis nerd by osmosis <laughs> <laughs> See, the, the, the simple caliber of your response there was like, oh, just keep, it wasn't just, oh, keep reading. It was like, no, just keep reinforcing the neural pathways and then by osmosis. <laughs> just say thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. I hope I, hope I was able to, to convey that I appreciate it. Very much, so thank you very much, though. Um, I, and I'll 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 let, I'll let you go and then put you in the room then and I'll look forward to speaking to everyone else later on. Okay, great. Thank you so much again and bye. Hey.
enjoy your bye everybody yeah bye